Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners once again today. What a blessing it is, as we've expressed many times, to be able to come together each day on this program, open up God's Word, and dig a little bit deeper into those rich teachings and truths. We're so thankful to have this opportunity to be with you, and our prayer is that you're really enjoying and growing spiritually by being here with us each day on Search the Scriptures. Our prayer is, again, that you are learning God's Word more fully, more deeply, and that you're becoming stronger in your faith as a result. As we keep saying in the program, faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. So developing faith is not some magical, mystical, accidental kind of exercise or happening. It is a purposeful kind of thing. God has designed his word such that as you study it, read it, learn it, believe it, understand it, and make the proper applications to your life, that you're growing in faith. Your faith develops and it grows stronger, fuller, deeper, richer. That's a simple and, again, an objective and logical way that your faith develops. Many people think that faith just kind of happens. Well, that's not true. Some people think that faith is a gift from God, that he bestows it upon them. And when you think about that, the idea would be, well, whether you want it or not, God's going to make you have faith. That's not the way it works either. Faith comes as you learn God's word and as you believe it, understand it, and make the proper applications to your lives. And so, naturally, as you study more, as you learn God's word more fully, your faith should grow stronger and deeper, and again, richer. We want to help you along that line. Ultimately, getting to heaven is based upon our faith in God. We must believe in God with all of our heart, that he is the creator, that he is the God, the one who has put us here and created us in his image. And that goes back to Romans, or rather Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who would come to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith is based upon common sense, logical, reasonable, and facts that we can see evidence for. That's what real faith is. In fact, Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, we're talking about faith in this particular series of studies. We're talking about the importance of faith and also how the devil tries to work against us to tear down our faith in God. Faithfulness is the open demonstration of our faith. As we consistently live by the teachings of God's word, which is the faith. So faith is used in at least three different ways in the scriptures. Faith, that's our belief in God and in Christ and in God's word. But now our faith is based upon the teachings of God's word, which is the faith. And as we come to live by those teachings, then that is faithfulness. As we said, our faith comes as we develop it through the understanding, 
and then believing and making the proper applications based upon God's word. Those teachings about God, about Christ, about Christianity, about God being there and creating everything that we see around us. That's the faith, the faith, that our faith, as we believe that, is based upon. And then as we live by those teachings, we're demonstrating our faith through faithfulness. Faithfulness. In Titus chapter 1, in verse 9, the Apostle Paul brings this out. He says, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince those who contradict. So that's faithfulness. It is absolutely vital. In fact, Jesus said in Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So if we want to be with God in heaven for all of eternity, if we want that heavenly home that Jesus told the apostles he went to prepare for them, and I think we're to understand for all of his faithful followers, then we need to live faithfully by the teachings of God's word, demonstrating thereby our faithfulness in God and showing that we really have faith in him. In first uh, in second uh, I'm sorry, first Peter chapter five and verses eight and nine, we read about our deadliest and most devoted enemy, and that is the devil himself. First Peter chapter five and verse eight says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Now notice how we can resist him. The very next verse says Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Resist him steadfast in the faith. Our faith is key, and our faithfulness to God on a consistent basis, living by and being obedient to his teachings given to us in his word, is absolutely imperative for us to be with him ultimately in heaven for all of eternity. Now, we've been talking about, again, how the devil is against us. He is that adversary or one who stands against us. He is that deadliest of all enemies and most devoted of all enemies. He wants to pull us away from God. He wants to shake our faith, and he wants to lead us into unfaithfulness to live a life that is anything but faithful to God. So we've been talking about seven attacks on our faithfulness. Now first we noted that temptation is obviously the devil's first line of attack. He tempts us. He throws all kinds of temptations our way that make sin look good, that makes evil and wickedness appear to be righteous. And he also goes at it from the other uh, side of things, or the kind of reverse order. He tries to make goodness and righteousness look evil, look bad. How many times do we hear people today talk about how naming sin to be sin, calling sinfulness to be sinful, is unloving, is unkind, is mean-spirited, is judgmental. 
Well, the devil has already worked a, a number on a whole lot of people. We're supposed to be politically correct according to our culture today. And to be politically correct, we cannot call sin, sin. We cannot tell people who are living, obviously, in unrighteousness, sinfulness, wickedness before God, that they are doing so. Because again, the devil has made people believe, he's convinced them, he's hoodwinked them, to think that saying sin is sin, and calling unrighteousness unrighteous, and talking about unfaithfulness as being unfaithful to God, and ungodliness to being ungodly, he has convinced people, hoodwinked them into thinking that that's terrible, that that's mean-spirited, that that's horrible kind of thinking and especially speech. And so somebody who does stand up for righteousness, not that they're being mean, not that they're being unloving, not that they're being arrogant or talking down to somebody, but even if they in love, try to get across to somebody, you're living in a wrong lifestyle. You're living in ungodliness. You're living in a way that is against God's will for our lives. Those people who would say that are accused of hate speech. You must be a hater. You are hateful. Why would you say such things? Well, you see, again, the devil has convinced a lot of people along these lines already. He's been very skillful and very successful with many people. Temptation is his first line of attack, I think we would say. Now, worldliness is another way that he attacks our faithfulness. He makes ungodliness look godly or look appealing and attractive. Remember the number he worked on Eve in the garden when God had told the man and the woman to not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, oh, he made that, he painted that picture for her of that particular fruit, of that particular tree. Oh, he made it look so appealing. When she saw that it was good for food and pleasant to the eyes, she ate. And in so doing, she disobeyed God and helped usher sin into the world and into the consciousness of mankind. Worldliness. People want to live a worldly lifestyle. But worldly living is opposite of godly living. Now that's not saying that people who are trying to live a godly life can never have any fun. Again, the devil, see, he tries to paint that picture. Oh, you you don't want to live that Christian life. That's That's a a life that is so austere. It is a life that where you can't have any fun. It's a life where you have to just be so serious all the time. That's not true. Anybody who knows me and has been around me for very long knows that I really like to have fun. I enjoy having a good time. I believe that the Christian has the most right and the greatest opportunity to be happy in life, to find joy in living. But the devil tries to paint it the other way. You can't live that life. It's too hard. You can't do it. And there's no fun in that particular life. Well, tell that to the drunk who wakes up every morning with a hangover, his head pounding, and trying to remember what he did the night before 
because he was in such a stupor that he has no memory. Tell that to the, to the mother and the wife who wonders how she's going to feed her children and pay the bills this week because her wife drank up all the money or spent it on drugs or lost it in gambling. Yeah, see the devil, he does a pretty good, pretty good job of clouding the truth over with non-reality. Well, let's look at a third way the devil attacks our faithfulness, and that is a moral lapse. A moral lapse. Oh, what is morality? Well, if you ask 10 people, you might get 10 different answers today. It wasn't that long ago that our culture, our society, people in our country pretty well had a normal and and agreed upon answer to morality. They understood what was moral and what was immoral. But today, no, it's topsy-turvy. It's all up in the air. It's open to anyone's personal interpretation. Your spiritual strength will be weakened by an unclean conscience. Let's look at what David wrote in Psalm 32, beginning with verse 1. Psalm 32, beginning with verse 1. And this is very telling, and I suspect that a whole lot of us can relate to this. He says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Now, transgression. Transgression against God's will, against his teachings. Transgression against God. We're talking about sin. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute, or that is hold against him, or hold hold him to account for iniquity. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. In other words, because it's been forgiven. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. You know, people who live in sinfulness try to deceive people around them that they're really not living in sinfulness. When I kept silent, the psalmist goes on to say, when I kept silent, in other words, I tried to hide my sin. I tried to hide my unrighteousness, my unfaithfulness before God. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, that is, God's hand. His conscience was bothering him, in other words, continually, because he was trying to ignore his sin. My my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Oh, praise God when we can understand that we have been forgiven of our sins. But you see, David said, when I was trying to hide it, when I was trying to ignore it, when I was trying to cover it up, oh, it was heavy upon my heart, upon my being. My spirit was struggling. But when I opened my heart to God, when I confessed my sin to him, when I sought his forgiveness, everything changed. And so that's why he says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, 
whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity because it's been forgiven and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He's not trying to hide his sin any longer. And you see, that's the opposite of what it was like when he tried to cover it up, when he tried to ignore it, not confess it, not seek God's forgiveness. And how many people are living in sin and trying to act like they're not being sinful, trying to explain it away? When I kept silent, my bones grew old, he said, through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Do you see what he's saying here? It was hard for me to ignore, to cover up on an ongoing basis, my sinfulness. But when I acknowledged my sin to you, to God, and my iniquity I did not hide any longer, when I confessed my transgressions to the Lord, God forgave me, forgave me of the iniquity of my sin. Oh, what a relief he must have found. You know, David, and you might wonder, what was he thinking and to what exactly was he referring when he wrote that particular psalm? Perhaps it was his moral lapse and his lust lust for Bathsheba, Uriah's wife. And how he committed adultery with her and tried to cover it up a number of times. And ultimately it led him to have her husband killed in battle. My, how that must have weighed upon his heart. Now he repented of that, ultimately. But not before. It ultimately would cause great problems for him. And not only he would suffer for that transgression, but others in the nation and in his family would suffer as well. If he had just acknowledged his sin up front, if he had just repented of it quickly and turned away from it and asked God's forgiveness, I wonder how a period of history and I wonder how David's personal life would have been different. So temptation is one of the devil's attacks. Worldliness is another avenue of attack upon our faithfulness. A moral lapse where the devil tries to make something that is sinful look good and we give in and we become immoral, as David did with Bathsheba. And then another one is doubt. Doubt. The devil's so skillful at planting doubts in our mind about our faith. James wrote about the danger of doubt in the mind of a Christian, of a follower of God, a believer in God. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, 
unstable in all his ways. Doubt. You know, the devil doesn't have to get us to the point where we become atheists and we say, I no longer believe in God. But all he has to do is get us to the point where we begin to doubt some of the things that God's word teaches us. Oh, like how many people no longer believe Genesis chapter 1, the creation account. They've been convinced that it's a mythological kind of description of the world and life in this world coming into existence, or metaphorical at least. It's just a story. It's an illustration. But it's not really true. God did not create the world and everything in it within seven days, or six days, rather. He did not bring humanity into existence on one day. He did not create the animal kingdom that walked upon this land in one day. He did not create the fishes of the sea in one day. Now, all of these being different days. Oh, but we've been told, no, 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 that's not the way it was. A day in those verses of scripture was probably millions of years each. And so God didn't really do it by pronouncing it and creating it through his own power, but he used the process of evolution to bring about life in all of its different forms upon this earth. Well, you see, doubt in the magnificence and the power of God. That's all that the devil has to do. If we begin to doubt God, then we begin to walk a little farther away from God. We don't trust him as much. We don't believe in him as deeply and thoroughly. Doubt is a very effective tool of the devil to attack our faithfulness in God. And we're going to stop here today. We're going to come back and pick up this particular study next time and, and look at another one of the attacks that the devil uses upon our faithfulness. I hope you're relating to this. I hope it's touching your heart. I hope that it's making sense to you. And I suspect that it is and that you are probably thinking about people you know who have fallen for these particular attacks and have moved a little farther away from God. Perhaps, in some cases, you yourself on occasions. Well, we can become strong in our faith. In just a moment, we'll tell you how to contact us. We would love to send you a free Bible study that will help you develop strong faith in God. The study is free. We'll even take care of the postage. All you have to do is ask. You can also receive a copy of today's program on CD for free. And again, we'll take care of the postage. So write down that information and then contact us and ask for that free material. We hope to hear from you right away.